following podcast is a production of Radio Felician, the voice of Felician University of New Jersey and the home of alternative rock done right. Available via iHeartRadio. Tune in, the Radio Felician app, and at RadioFelician.com. Radio Felician University. Welcome to the Bergen Line Community Conversations, a podcast series from Felician University and the Bergen County Prosecutor's Office where the students of Felician engage the members of the prosecutor's office on topics important to the people of Bergen County. Welcome to the Bergen Live. Hi, this is Stephanie Moore, a senior here at Felician University, majoring in criminal justice. We're picking up my conversation with Bergen County Prosecutor Mark Musella. Later on in this episode, we'll be talking about how the approach to drug enforcement in Bergen County has changed. But first, let's resume with the prosecutor's story. After my clerkship, I applied to the Bergen County Prosecutor's Office, and I was lucky enough to, to get that job. I realized really how hard it is now. It's obviously today we get hundreds of residents. So a lot of paperwork? Uh-huh. Well, <laughs> no, you know, just getting the job was, was uh, uh, that was like 1980, oh, 1988 wow. or 89, and I was there for seven years, and I was a prosecutor. And back then... Um, the 80s and 90s was the war on drugs, right. Ronald Reagan's war on drugs, and, and yeah. the majority of my cases were drug cases. You know, there was Cocaine Alley, which was a portion of the turnpike that they uh, had named Cocaine Alley because there was so much cocaine and money going up and down between Florida and D.C. and New York, and they were, the troopers were making road stops there, and we were getting pounds and kilos of cocaine. And the jury trials I had, I had f- about 55 jury trials in the three or four years that I was in the trial section. And so it was really, really great trial experience. And at that time, you know, again, we thought we could arrest our way out of the drug problem. We thought we could arrest people and incarcerate them, and that would end the drug problem. But no, obviously that didn't, didn't do it. And a lot of the people that we wound up prosecuting were not the cartel people, were not the dealers. They were really, really? The, the mules yeah. that were taking the stuff from Mexico to New York City. But again, at that point, that was what, with our limited, I guess, knowledge at the time, what we had to do. We had to kind of make arrests, try to seize the the arrests of the people that were transporting it, seize it, destroy it, and maybe then that would end drugs coming into the country. But it really didn't. All it did was kind of fuel more people, you know, bringing drugs into the country. And so today, the model is more education and prevention. We're attacking it at different ways today, and we have interdiction units at the bridge, and we're on the highways every day in Bergen County, and we are still seizing lots of drugs. But, you know, we're dealing with it a little differently today. We're trying to get people treatment. We're trying to educate people, trying to get people to uh, not do drugs. Uh, the drugs today are much more powerful, and you're dealing with fentanyl today, and yeah, people, um, people die from that. But we still do, you know, arrest and prosecute, not so much for marijuana, yeah, but I was for cocaine about, and heroin um, and fentanyl. How do you guys handle, uh, what's the procedure as far as marijuana and how do you, how, what's the tactics as far as how Bergen County approaches them? Because um, as far as my generation concerns is that they are very much popular with, with marijuana, but they, um, I feel as though that the statistics and the research as far as the problems and the circumstances that come with smoking marijuana is very limited as far as right now, the um the damage it may cost because it is something that's is like a it's like a experiment project as far as right now with um America is as I can say with it being legal, a lot of people use the excuse like it's, it's not legal. it's, it's legal, legal now, and so it's, it's legal. Dangerous. But right. and do you think that marijuana is a gateway <laughs> drug? 
I personally, I think marijuana is dangerous. I think alcohol is dangerous. I think all drugs are dangerous. I think any drug that is that you take, not prescribed by a physician, is dangerous. Whether it's an, a, a gateway drug or not, you know. That, again, the professionals can can argue about that, and the, and the scientists and the doctors can argue about that. But personally, I believe marijuana is dangerous. When you buy marijuana on the street, you don't know what you're buying. You right. don't know, you know, that's vegetation, but you don't know what's in it. You don't know if there's, and we do know that there's many hundreds of different chemicals in marijuana. And, you know, we haven't seen it yet here in New Jersey, but I, I we have seen it in other states that there's now fentanyl is also in marijuana. So personally, I believe marijuana is dangerous. Marijuana is legal now. Our alcohol is legal as well. Right. Alcohol used, uh, you know, so abused. it's like prohibition. They, is, yeah. <laughs> but alcohol abused is also very dangerous. Um, right. And uh, there's research, and I've read, and I've listened, and I've watched. No one will tell you that alcohol is good for you. No one will tell you that marijuana is good for you. No one will tell you any opioid drug is good for you. They serve their purposes for medical purposes, medical marijuana. There's medical purposes that these drugs are used for, but recreationally, again, everything, even even alcohol, I think, when abused, is is dangerous for you. And like drinking and driving, so smoking and driving. Yeah, that. And, and the thing about uh, marijuana, you know, it's legal, but people don't understand that it's not. It's just not a free for all, and it's not like the wild yes. west. It still has to be. Per, you still have to purchase it legally at uh, a dispensary. Uh, a lot of people I know that are not. They're not doing that because they're paying extra money for you know in, in taxes and. Yeah. and uh, and, and the licenses, fees, and everything else. So people are, are still going back to their dealers and still buying the, you know marijuana the way they used to. And that's illegal. And sharing marijuana is still illegal. And smoking marijuana in public is illegal. And drink and driving and smoking marijuana is illegal. So really, you can you, it's legal, but you have, to, you, have to, you have to do it by the way that is prescribed by law. And not many people follow that. This is the Bergen Line community conversations on top of that we're not really prosecuting the marijuana cases like we used to again we're trying to get people help because marijuana is legal so we're not really trying prosecuting these even though all those things i mentioned we do prosecute the driving while impaired obviously uh, mm-hmm. we, we prosecute large people that deal large amounts of marijuana uh, because again it's a it's the, you know, they're 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 dealing mm-hmm. uh, and they're you know the whole idea of the marijuana law was to get dispensaries to make it legal so that there'll be some revenue and that also you get some minority businesses uh, and to kind of spread the wealth uh, among if people are going to smoke marijuana we're going to make it legal we want to have we want to make it so that businesses can uh, uh, profit from it and people mm-hmm. can make money from it and people can have uh, uh, be employed and so the whole point is when when there's individuals now still dealing large amounts and large amounts coming in from out of country that that's that is kind of defeats that whole purpose we don't want a black market existing, so we do prosecute those cases. But we uh, we have, like I said before, we have an interdiction unit at the bridge, and every day at the bridge, we're seizing large amounts of of opioids, we're seizing heroin, we're seizing cocaine, we're seizing fentanyl, we're seizing large amounts of marijuana, pounds and pounds of marijuana. Uh, we're seizing money, we're seizing guns. So uh, yeah, you know, gun control at, is at the, the George Washington Bridge is the most heavily trafficked bridge in the world. We know that 300,000 to 400,000 vehicles go over the George Washington Bridge every day. About 300 to 400 or 600 million cars go over the George Washington Bridge every year. There's a lot of illegal trafficking. drugs, yep. guns, and money. And so we, uh, we're at the bridge along with the DEA, the uh, Homeland Security, the uh, FBI, the uh, alcohol, tobacco, firearms, Fort Lee, 
Bergen County Prosecutor's Office trying to stop the illegal drugs that are coming through New Jersey from New York. And likewise, you know, Patterson as well. We're trying to also get into Patterson and work with Patterson uh, Police and the State County Prosecutor's Office. And we try to go there, try to help the people that are purchasing opioids in open markets, the Percocets, the heroin, the fentanyl. We find that we find now that 98% of all heroin submissions contain fentanyl. Fentanyl is 100 times more more powerful than morphine and fentanyl will kill you the first time you yeah. try it. So we're trying to educate people. We're trying to uh, get people into treatment. So the model now that we do, we, we go out, we try and educate the high schools through pathways to addiction, try to talk to kids about the dangers of experimenting with drugs, try to talk to kids about the dangers of a prescription that they get for a sports injury or a tooth injury, that they can get addicted to opioids. So we try to educate, and then we also try and help the people that are, are using. So we don't really prosecute people that we go out and we find people that are using or people that uh, want a family member wants to turn them in or a family member wants to bring them in or they even walk into the police department themselves, we offer them treatment. So we try to get people into treatment. We uh, try to hook them up with what's called a peer recovery specialist, someone that's recovered, was a recovering uh, addict. And mm-hmm. uh, we find that they can talk to the person better than the, the police. Instead mm-hmm. of talking at them, the recovery specialist talks with them and tells them what they've been through and what, what it took for them to recover. And then we hook them up with a patient navigator as well who kind of assesses their addiction and where they are in their life and try to, to get them necessary treatment, inpatient or outpatient, try to also hook them up with services, or healthcare services, try to and help them connect with housing or driver's license or medical care, whatever they may need. That's really good. Um, so we, we do all these things and try to get that person again to be a functioning member of society, society. to get them back yeah. to where they, they were before they experienced this addiction. And because addiction will kill all those things. You know, you lose your family, you lose your house, you lose your job. It prevents you from getting all those things. Education. And it's something as simple as just health care and, and driver's licenses. So we're trying to help people. We have a program called Operation Helping Hand where we go to Patterson. We go to open-air markets. We watch people from Bergen County. We can't arrest people in Patterson, but we watch them come from, from Bergen County, purchase the, the, uh, yeah. the drugs. They come back, and then we we'll arrest them, stop them in right. Bergen. We'll bring them to Paramus, our headquarters, and we uh, offer them treatment. And a lot of them are shocked that, you know, wow, you, you're, like, it, it's a different approach. It's not like, you know, you're a bad person, you got to go to jail. Right. It's like, listen, we're here, we, we want to help you. And here's a person that's gone through what you've gone through. What can we do to help you? We're going to offer you services. Some people take the services. Some people don't want to be bothered with the services. And it's got to be on their time. Some people are ready. Some people aren't ready. But we found that this program has been successful. Uh, I don't have the numbers. I can get you the numbers. But, uh, you know, it's been going on for over six years now. Okay. And uh, we do it three times a year, four times a year, and every time about 20 people we encounter. And I would say, you know, we're usually successful with about 18, 19, something like that, we'll, we'll, we'll take treatment. Now, whether they stay with treatment or not, that's another story, but right. at least feel like we've made that connection. And sometimes we encounter them again and we offer them treatment again. So the point is we're going we're, we're gonna to try and help people beat the addiction and we're going to try and help them as often and as every time that we can. We're going to offer them this treatment and try to keep them out of the criminal justice system because the criminal justice, going to jail and spending time in jail is dead time. Mm -hmm. You get out, you're still addicted, right? Mm -hmm. And if not, now you may be even in a worse position where, again, you may be separated with your family now. You may be lost your apartment, you lost your job, you know. So prison for the low-level drug offender, for the person that's a user, for the person that's an addict, 
for the person that's a drug abuser. The prison's not the answer. The answer is education and treatment, and that's that's very different from and, when I yeah, started from before. In, in, in the 80s and the 90s to where, where I'm the prosecutor now. This is Stephanie Moore of Felician University, and you're listening to the Bergen Line Community Conversations. That was uh, really enlightening to even know because a lot of people have the understanding that how the criminal justice system is that, you know, it's always just police versus society and and that this is what happens. You get stopped, you get arrested, you get charged, you go away for a certain amount of time. The rehabilitation isn't really there. So the fact that you offer the rehabilitation before the incarceration starts is even more um, productive because it just to give them that extra hand on to a new leaf. Yeah, yeah. So, you know, there's there's reentry now after prison for, for the more serious offenders as well. And it's kind of like a, a plug to New Jersey Reentry Corporation, which is uh, former Governor Jim McGreevy's <laughs> a corporation. But they're doing some wonderful things, helping people when they do get out of after incarceration, find a job, find an employment, find a skill, find, a ho- find housing, get them also, again, medical care, driver's license, social security, court, whatever they need, try to get them back on their feet. Um, you know, it's funny when I go to the, talk to the high school kids and I tell them, like, my, like, my job is not to, to, to win and get convictions and send people to jail. I never viewed the profession that way, even when I was when I was a young assistant prosecutor and when I was a defense attorney, I was a defense attorney for 25 years. And now that I'm back as prosecutor, you know, I tell the high school kids, like, I don't want to send people to jail. I want to get people help. Right. So I want to stop crime before it happens through education by getting out in the community this is what community engagement is, right? Talking to people and trying to explain to people and listening to people. And maybe if we can, can help people before stop crime, even simple as like we were experiencing a lot of car thefts in, in Bergen County. So we just did a public service uh, you know, announcement telling people, lock your cars. Mm-hmm. By locking the cars, it kind of it cut like car yes. thefts in half because people weren't locking the cars. People leaving the key fobs in the cars. People leaving valuables in the cars. People leaving their cars open and running and running into a store. So if we could just do little things to educate the public to help us fight crime, that could stop car thefts, cut them in half. Just simple things like that. By educating the public, people have to understand that you continue to, to commit car offenses, you're going to go to jail. So there's the deterrent of that as well. I don't want to send the first uh, a juvenile to jail for when he steals his first car. But we want to try and help him again and help him get uh, rehabilitated. But it's the repeat offenders, it's the recidivism that, that we then eventually yeah. have to stop and protect ourselves, right? Protect the public. There's serious crimes that, you know, really I can't do anything about as far as you commit an aggravated sexual assault on a minor, you kill someone, you, you hurt someone, your career criminal. I mean, these people have to go, right? Mm-hmm. And they have to go to prison because we have to now protect ourselves. I mean, that's my job at its very instance is to protect the, the community, right? But, and I used to say this when I was a defense attorney as, as well, you know, most of the people that we encounter do stupid things, kind of, you know, I used to say, like the term was we, a lot of knuckleheads. As long as no one gets hurt and it's something where maybe maybe you have you have a drug problem, maybe you have an alcohol problem, maybe you was a domestic violence. Sometimes again, it's family, you know, tempers flare, emotions flare. When people don't, you know, again those those type of cases, we try to get people treatment, we try to get them services, we try and uh, separate them if we have to. There's serious injuries. That's something that I really just can't turn my back on, right? But in most cases where it's a nonviolent offender, where it's, it's something, maybe it's you, maybe they'll pay restitution, maybe they'll go for counseling, where, where there's no victim that suffered or got hurt 
or injured or is out a large amount of money, we can work with people, first offenders, even second offenders, third offenders, people that need help. They need they, There's something going on in their lives that we, we, we can address, whether it's a drug problem, whether it's an alcohol problem, whether it's an anger management problem, whether it's a money problem, you know, they need a job, whatever it may be. Mm-hmm. Um, so again, we're, we're trying to help people. That's, you know, and people don't really realize about the prosecutor's office or the police. Police today do so much more than just arrest people. Police today are called upon to be mental health experts, right? So they get a call to a, a domestic violence and they go there and people are in crisis. Sometimes there's mental, there's a lot of mental health and mental illness out there as well. And the police have to deal with that. So mm-hmm. we now partner with mental health experts as well. We have something called uh, CIT training, which is crisis intervention training, where we bring police officers and the mental health experts into a room. We do this twice a year. We've been doing it for several years now, and we connect law enforcement officers with mental health experts, mental health experts with law enforcement officers, and we try and marry those two worlds. So now a police officer knows, has some resources he can call, and we're seeing in a lot of the towns through Care Plus and through uh, CBH Care, we're trying to have the mental health experts be on call or, or even accompany the officers to a scene where someone is in mental health crisis and then follow up as well. You know, a lot of times with domestic violence, police officers have to go there and they have to they have to be called upon to be a mental health expert. You know, yeah. a lot of times they'll go to a scene of someone uh, overdosing now. Every single police officer in Burton County carries Narcan. Narcan is something that we pay for, the Bergen County Prosecutor Office provides. It has like a six-month uh, life uh, shelf life. We provide it to the officers. We have to make sure that it's uh, fresh and that it's not expired. And the officers have to be trained in how to use Narcan. But last year alone, I believe in 2020, I think it's the 2021 numbers, Narcan was deployed uh, 365 times. So it means every day in Bergen County, a police officer in Bergen County deployed Narcan, which means... Uh, 365 lives were saved because Narcan reverses the effect of an of a opioid overdose. Oh, okay. We had oh, 700 like, overdoses. Like, yeah. Uh, unfortunately, 110, I think it was 110 people died of an overdose in 2021 in, in Bergen County. But 365 lives were saved by the fast actions of the police officer. So, you know, when a police officer, when you see a police officer, you thank a police officer. That's it for now. Thanks to Bergen County Prosecutor Mark Nisella. We're not done, though. We'll pick up the conversation on the next episode of the Bergen Line Community Conversations. This podcast has been a production of Radio Felician, the voice of the Franciscan University of New Jersey. The views expressed are solely those of the hosts and guests and are not official statements of Felician University. Visit Radio Felician on the web anytime at RadioFelician.com. Want to send an email? Reach out at radiostation at felician.edu. Radio Felician, the Falcon.